Hey everybody, this is Jan. You are listening to the Langpreneur Podcast and this is episode number 68. Have you ever wondered whether there is a future for blogs or for blogging? I mean, if you wanted, you know, if, it was, if you were searching for information online 10 years ago, there was a big chance that you ended up at blog posts, right? If you wanted to grow an audience, an online audience 10 years ago, blogging was the way to do it. But, you know, nowadays everything is shifting over to video. Um, YouTube is getting more and more traffic and also Google starts suggesting more um, search results on YouTube, right? Also, many of Langpreneurs that I've interviewed here on the show, you know, most of them are getting most of their leads from YouTube nowadays. So you might be wondering if there's still a future for blogging. Now, this is one of the topics that I'm going to talk about today with Shayna of Espresso English. Shayna started a while ago with a blog for for people who wanted to learn English. And uh, later on, she also launched a YouTube channel and a podcast. And yeah, so that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about how to promote and sell your products without being salesy. I know that many of you love creating language courses, a lot of languages, but you feel bad about charging prices or charging high prices for your products, right? Um, yeah, so we are going to talk about how to how to sell without being salesy. Um, and Shana is also going to share how she goes about product launches and um, how she how she manages her business and at the same time runs a family. So these are the topics that we are going to discuss in today's episode. I hope you enjoy. This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey Shayna, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. Hey, I'm Shana, um, and I run EspressoEnglish.net, which uh, teaches English as a second language. So we have a very global audience, and we sell ebooks and courses to help people improve their English skills. Mm-hmm. So, how do people find you? Is it through your blog? Tell us a little bit about your traffic channels. Like, when did you get started, and how do you get started? Mm. Well, most people, the lion's share of my traffic uh, comes through Google organic search. Um, So they discover me through searching for, let's say, uh, how to pronounce something or how to uh, form the present perfect tense in English. And um, many of my blog posts are really high up in the Google search results. So I started uh, in 2012. And I started simply blogging. I was teaching in the classroom at the time. And what I would do is after every lesson, I would just kind of write up a summary of what I had taught, any answers to questions students had asked. And I would post that up on my very rudimentary at the time uh, blog. And I did that um, two or three or four times a week. It was just, they were short posts, just whatever I was doing in the classroom. I figured I could repurpose it and put it online for anyone else who was searching for that information. Yeah. Do you know that it was possible to turn this into an online business back then? Uh, 
Kind of. I didn't think it could become successful enough to support me full time as it does today. Uh, in the beginning, I was just hoping to get a little side income stream and maybe decrease my teaching hours, right? Because um, it was just, uh, it was a lot of teaching hours, a lot of commuting to the classes. And I was just hoping to make it a little easier on myself through having an online income stream. But uh, over the years, it's uh, grown into a, a full-time business. Yeah. And what was the landscape like eight year, eight or nine years ago? Like, were there many other bloggers? I mean, we have, uh, of course, we have our friend Shona from Perfect English Grammar. She started like a long time ago, I think 10 or 13 years. But when you started, like, was there a lot of competition? Was it easy to rank high in, in Google? You know, I didn't even know enough at the time to research that. Um, I wasn't really even aware of SEO and, and rankings. I was just putting up stuff that I thought uh, people were asking about, people would want to read. And kind of uh, through sheer persistence and just keeping at it, um, I was able to eventually build up some traction in the Google search results, which later what I learned I was doing was content marketing, putting out content that people are searching for, people want to read. Uh, it's good content, I, I hoped. And um, that eventually got me onto the map in terms of Google search results. Yeah. So when did you know that you had a business in hands? Uh, well, the first thing I'll say is that um, building up my traffic that way through kind of blindly throwing blog posts out there, it worked, but it took quite a long time. Okay. I remember in the early days, I was very discouraged because it seemed like I was just putting all this work in and I knew my posts were good, but the, the traffic just wasn't coming. It wasn't really growing. And um, it seemed like that took just forever, just tumbleweeds, um, you know, a handful of visitors here and there. But it wasn't really until honestly, month nine or 10 that it started to pick up. So um, one thing I would uh, mention if you're if anyone's thinking about getting into blogging is that it's, it's really a marathon, not a sprint. This is something you invest in for a long time. However, some of those blog posts I wrote in 2012 are still bringing in tons of traffic. Um, so it is something that pays off. But I first uh, started to think about monetizing, um, I'd say five or six months in, I had a tiny following. Um, I had been collecting email addresses from the beginning. So I just had a simple email sign up. And when people signed up, I would just send them the new blog posts. It was nothing fancy. And um, I decided to launch an ebook. Um, and I think I sold maybe, I just wrote it in a Word document, saved it as a PDF, again, super simple. And I think I sold maybe a dozen copies. And that was not exactly quit your day job money, but it was enough to see, okay, this is viable. People will buy something from me online and maybe I can grow this. How much was the ebook? Uh, $15. $15. So you can do, do the you, math there. Yeah, <laughs> could almost retire back then. And, uh, and how many people that you have on your mailing list? You remember that? Uh, I think I had about a thousand at the time. So 15 out of thousand for, for $15. Well, it's a start at least, right? There's some validation. At least, you, you know, it proves that you can sell online, which is huge, right? Because once you find out that it's actually possible. So how do you go from there? Uh, well, there I was like, okay, maybe I could do a course. Um, and the way I went about my first course is, first of all, I asked my subscribers to vote on the topic. So I had three topic ideas. Um, I sent them out to my email list. I asked people to vote on the one they most wanted so that I could line up 
uh, something that was in line with my audience's uh, desires. And the, um, the one they voted for was a travel English. So uh, English phrases for getting through the airport, checking into a hotel, ordering at a restaurant, that sort of thing. And what I decided to do was I decided to pre-sell it. So I noticed at my day job, people would come in at the beginning of the semester and they would swipe their credit card for a whole semester's worth of lessons. So they were prepaying for that whole semester at the language school. And I figured, okay, maybe I can do a similar thing with my course. So I put up a sales page, I had a checkout button and I told my email list, hey, um, I'm gonna do 30 travel English lessons in the month of August. So this is month eight uh, of my business. Uh, you'll get one lesson a day for 30 days, you know, sign up here. And I just made it really clear that they're paying now and then they're going to get the lessons delivered uh, on a specific time frame. And I had uh, 17 students in that first um, cohort, a $30 course, but I was so excited. Well, let me take that back. I was disappointed because I thought I would have 100 students out of uh, about 1,700 people on my email list at, at that time. Um, and I had by this time been researching other online course businesses and seeing these huge launches and thinking that uh, mine was going to be of similar size. But I got 17 people who were willing to prepay. Uh, and I then delivered the course to them as promised, one lesson a day for 30 days. And then, of course, after that, the course was then available to purchase. Anyone could purchase afterwards and then get instant access to those lessons. Uh, and then I figured, let's just do this again and again. And I repeated that pre-sale process and produced 12 or 13 more courses over the next uh, three or four years. Well, really. And so why do you think that the first launch wasn't a huge launch? Wasn't that, you know, didn't you have any, like, how was the sales process? Was it a matter of good copywriting or maybe the lack of it? Um, was it the, the sequences, the funnel? Like what, how do you, if you had to do it again or how do you do it these days? How, what do you do differently than how you did it seven years ago? Uh, well, yeah, I didn't know anything about launching. So um, I didn't uh, announce the course in advance. I didn't do any anticipation. I think I had one or I think I had one email that was like, hey, sign up. And then another email that was like, why haven't you signed up yet? Uh, come join. It's starting in a couple of days. And that was it. It was, I think, pretty much two emails. Um, and now what I do for a launch is I typically have uh, a seven or 10 day window. I typically do an early bird price. So there's some urgency. So if you're one of the first joiners, you get it at this, you know, lower price. Um, and I try to at least hint or do a little bit of build up so that people know it's coming. It doesn't just smack them in the face one day with a launch email. Um, I also, over those seven to 10 days, in addition to announcing it, I usually provide a free sample lesson. I have an FAQ uh, email. I have um, just a couple more emails in the sequence that provide more info, come at it from a few different angles. And then finally, of course, the last chance for your early bird discount um, email, which always drives a number of sales uh, about 24 hours before the, the deadline. So uh, it's still a pretty simple launch process, but at the beginning, I really didn't know what I was doing at all. Uh, so <laughs> that's yeah. probably why the results were a little lackluster. But then again, you know, 1% of my list, 17 people out of 1,700 is, is actually not bad for such a fumbling first attempt. Yeah, it's a good starting point for sure. And, you know, when you do the launches these days, do, do you also put more time in, in copywriting or maybe defining the offer or... Like what else do you do differently now then? Uh, yeah, I'd like I don't remember what my first sales page was like, but I'm sure it was bad. Uh, so now I uh, put more time into really 
uh, thinking about the pain points, trying to use people's own language from you know, replies I've gathered to email from emails, uh, conversations I've had with students, and I try to use people's own words um, for to express what they might be feeling, what might lead them to take this course. Uh, I, I make my sales pages very. Um, They've got a lot of graphic, like graphics and visual elements. So I don't actually do walls of text and long, you know, storytelling because some of this is just uh, my niche. Uh, people who are learning English as second language don't want to scroll through ten thousand words uh, to try and figure out why this course is relevant for them. So I really try to keep things fairly concise uh, and yet powerful and, and visually illustrated on my sales pages, um, and I think that definitely helps. Yeah. So how did you learn how to do all of this? Was it by taking courses, by just looking what other people are doing, by experimenting? How did you learn how to do a, a powerful launch? Uh, looking at other people, um, just researching from free stuff online. I've never taken a course on copywriting or sales page design or, or anything like that. Uh, there's plenty of information out there for free. And so I've just listened to podcasts, looked at case studies, um, joined other people's funnels so I can see what they're doing and, and what seems like, not only what seems like it's working, but what seems like it might resonate with the way I do business. Um, you know, not every sales technique is something that I feel comfortable using. Uh, and then I just adapt things and try them out in my own business. Mm -hmm. So you have been running the blog for like eight years. What, what is it? Like eight years, 2012, eight years now. How has growth been for you? Has it been a linear process? Can you share a bit? No, yeah, sure. So went. I just, um, uh, I was just looking at my, at my early days analytics. And like I said, it didn't really start to pick up any sort of growth until the, the ninth or 10th month. Uh, and then after that, it's really just been slow and steady growth. You know, I've never had that moment where it just took off or, or did a giant leap or a hockey stick. It's just been plodding upwards over the years. Um, and so a couple of stats by the end of my first year, uh, blogging, you know, fairly continuously. I was at around 90,000 uh, visits a month. and 90,000 a month after one year? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I, I had no idea, no basis for comparison at the time. Yeah. But now uh, the blog gets over a million visitors a month, which I just blows my mind. I can't imagine, you know, having started in a classroom, just teaching six or seven people at a time. Now my lessons are impacting a million people a month. I just, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, that, that's crazy. And does most of that traffic find you through Google or YouTube? You also have other traffic sources, right? Mostly through Google still. So I've kept up the blogging over the years. I, I have decreased my frequency. So um, now I publish just one, once a week. But uh, since I've been doing it for so long, I now have about a thousand around a thousand posts. And so that just building up that library, um, every time you make a post, that's another tiny little um, traffic stream. And so it's just built up over time to this massive amount of traffic. Yeah. So it really shows how the compound effect works in, in online business, right? Everything you create a new lesson, it just goes on top of that stack and it just keeps generating traffic for you, not just for today, but also, well, hopefully also over the year. Uh, of the next of the many years uh, to come right so i mean blogging when that that's how you started but today you also do youtube um you have a podcast when did you start with youtube and and why i mean blogging was working so why did you what was it to diversify why did you uh, make the transition to youtube um well first of all the reason i didn't do youtube initially was because i was really 
afraid and uncomfortable about being on camera. And I just, I was living also in Brazil at the time. I didn't really have great conditions for recording in terms of background noise and, and lighting and that kind of thing. So I, and also I've always, I've always just been um, prone to writing. I like writing. So that's why I started with blogging initially. Yeah. However, particularly in, in my niche, language learning, people need to hear you too. People need to hear the pronunciation, um, you know, try to maybe imitate a native speaker, uh, you know, saying things in language. So I knew that the audio component was going to be really important. So the workaround I discovered was I would just read out my blog posts over slides that had the text. And so my face was not on camera and it, it felt like a safe way to start getting into uh, videos. So my very earliest videos were just that it was me reading out on my blog posts. So I was repurposing the content. I wasn't coming up with brand new stuff. Uh, and over these, these orange and yellow uh, slides that are, really horrendous, but um, I started posting them on YouTube. And I have to say that my YouTube channel, despite how rudimentary those early videos were, did pick up steam a lot faster than my oh, blog. Right. Huh. When was this? This was in early 2013. So about uh, okay. a year after I had started blogging, oh, okay. that's yeah. when I started the YouTube channel. Yeah. And you have been, been, been YouTubing, you have been publishing YouTube videos ever since ever since. And now uh, I do get on camera. Um, I sometimes do a mix of uh, me on camera with together with slides to illustrate where appropriate. So I've, I've also evolved my YouTube style over the years. Mm -hmm. So what does your publishing schedule look like uh, nowadays? Is it like one blog post and one YouTube video per week? Or how do you divide the time? Uh, so I publish weekly and it's the same post on ah. all the platforms. So mm. what I actually do is I actually start with the video now. Um, I'll write out a script for a video. I'll film the video. Uh, then I will pull out the audio from that video and publish it as a podcast. And the text from the video script becomes the blog post. And then that also gets published on Facebook and Twitter. So it's it's one piece of content per week, but repurposed in a couple of different ways for folks who like to um, learn through video, learn through audio or read the text. And that's also what gets sent out to my email newsletter every Monday. Yeah. And then you can also just take the video and embed it in a blog post, right? Yes, that's exactly what I do. Yeah. So it's actually quite a simple formula then. Just one piece of content, but you turn that into, you know, into a video, the podcast and then the blog post as well. Yes. And you have been doing that consistently for the last eight years? Uh, yeah, I don't remember when I kind of hit upon this um, this methodology of just the one piece of content and, and repurposing it. Initially, since I had so many blog posts and I needed some more YouTube videos, I was just doing all those past blog posts as uh, as videos. I think I actually may have looked at the stats and taken started with the most popular ones so that hopefully uh, it would gain traction on YouTube. And um, But I think this current rhythm, I've been at it for at least five or six years. So what have been the biggest challenges for you building an audience so far? Um, I would say the biggest challenge in the beginning was just patience. And, you know, in those months where I was blogging so much and it seemed like no one was hardly anyone was coming to my site, uh, believing that this would indeed pay off one day. I mean, I wish I could just send a message to my past self just being like, stop spending time worrying about whether it's working and just focus on making it, uh, making it work. Um, so I spent a lot of time just, uh, just being impatient in those, in those early days. Um, nowadays, traffic is not a problem. I've got traffic coming out of my ears. Uh, but the, the challenge right now is really making sure that I connect with the right people, uh, by which I mean folks who 
may start with my blog posts, but then are willing to move into one of my paid offerings, paid courses. Um, because in this niche, there's lots of folks looking for free information, and I'm happy to provide that, you know, with a with a weekly uh, lesson. Uh, but of course, to be a business, you need to have paying customers. And so right now, I've been focusing on uh, my sales funnel and um, really uh, trying to make it easy for someone to move into uh, a purchase and become a paying customer and then hopefully buy more and more of my courses as they love them love them and benefit from from them yeah and the key is collecting email addresses right yes i am so glad i did that from day one because email is really still one of the most reliable ways of getting in touch directly with people. Um, email has always been far better for me than, than social media. Uh, cause of course the social media platforms can restrict your visibility. Uh, but with email, you can get right into someone's, someone's inbox and, uh, people come to look forward to your emails if they're good and they're instructive. Yeah. So, I mean, we have many listeners who, you know, who want to build a business that are very passionate about teaching, but they don't want to be salesy. They don't like selling. They don't like sending emails every day during the launch, for example. Anything you have to say about that? This is definitely something I struggled with too. Um, striking that balance between uh, teaching and being generous with my content, but also uh, promoting uh, my paid courses and how much promotion is too much promotion. And what I've what I do right now is weekly email is about half and half. So it will have one free lesson. Let's say it's a lesson on uh, how to pronounce uh, a certain word in English. And then related to that free lesson will be a corresponding paid course. So if you want to go deeper, if you want to learn more, yeah. join my pronunciation course. So it's always related. If I have an email in business English, then the related product is my business English course. And so those paid products, they're always present in my newsletter. Um, but I it's not pushy. So if someone just wanted to stick with that free tip at the top, great. Yep. If someone wants to go deeper, the invitation and the opportunity uh, are there. And then when I do launch or when I do uh, a promo, I don't email every day. I will typically do maybe every other day. So maybe five, four or five emails over 10 days. And again, it's a mix of uh, promo stuff and content stuff. So the initial promotional announcement is pure promotion. That's fine. Then maybe I'll send a free sample lesson. So that's content, that's free content, but related to the promotion. And then uh, maybe another more promotional email, and then maybe another email with a student case study. So that's, that's an inspiring piece of content still related to the promotion. And then the last chance email, of course, it's the last chance email, it's promo. Um, but since I'm not hammering people over the head and I don't do things. I mean, some marketers say, send three emails on the last day, send an email when there's 60 minutes left. I don't do that kind of stuff. I think that's, that's just a little over the top for my particular style and my particular niche, but I'm comfortable, um, promoting, uh, when, when I do have a launch or a promotion going on. Yeah. So it's really about delivering value first. And then you can say, by the way, I also have this. So it's all about finding the balance between delivering value and, and, and selling, actually. Yeah, finding the balance. But I would, I mean, I would push uh, particularly other uh, teacher entrepreneurs out there yeah. that 
you may need, you also do need to promote. So uh, sometimes I'll see people, um, they'll have a, a great, you know, teaching lesson. And then at the bottom, there'll be this teeny tiny text. P.S. If you feel like it, maybe you should think about considering joining my, it's, it's very weak, right? And if you're confident in the products you're creating, if you know that these will help people, you also need to um, sell them confidently, promote them confidently. And you, you know, if someone's not the right fit, they'll just ignore the email or delete the email. Um, they're not going to unsubscribe unless you're you're, you're being a pain and literally every single email is, um, is pushy and, and slimy. And I don't think anyone's in danger of doing that. But so I would encourage teachers to promote strongly, promote confidently when you are promoting something. Um, don't hold back and, and kind of uh, extend a, a, a weak invitation. Um, you do want to do it confidently, especially if you're producing great courses, as I'm sure many uh, teachers are. Yeah. Do you get emails sometimes from people who say, hey, stop, stop spamming me? No, um, honestly, I mean, people will either unsubscribe, but my unsubscribe rate is, is within, you know, regular norms. Um, I get, I do get a lot of people that say, Hey, I can't afford it. And what I have for them is I have, um, I have a blog post that has 50 resources where you can learn for free. And so I just point them towards those uh, free resources. And so, um, I'm still helping them. Uh, yeah. through, you know, the resources they can consume. Um, and I understand that it's you know, not everybody in my niche is going to be able to afford the lessons, but I do have a wealth of free information as do other can point those folks to. Yeah. So for English, I mean, people from all over the world want to learn English, right? From developed countries, but also from, well, from countries where they don't earn so much. So how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, you just said that you have free resources for them as well. How do you go about pricing your courses? Like, are your courses cheaper because you wanted to be able to sell all over the world? Or how do you go about pricing? So some of my experience with pricing comes from, uh, you know, I was an English teacher in Brazil, uh, which is a developing country, but maybe one of the more advanced developing countries in terms of its economy, at least at the time. And so I knew approximately the typical salaries of what my my private students were, were making and what they were spending on English courses at the online school. And so basically I, I priced my courses kind of mid range. My courses, I have eBooks that are around $15. Most of my courses are in the 30 to $45 range. And then if someone wants to get the entire package, which includes everything I've ever produced, uh, that's if you had, if you bought them individually, it would be about $600, but I knock that down to 297. So if they buy the whole collection, they get a really nice discount. Um, but if people want to just buy them one by one, it's $15, 30, 45. And it just seemed to me like a, a fairly reasonable price that it was affordable for my Brazilian students at the time. Um, and of course I understand that it's still not going to be affordable for many. Um, but I didn't want to do go the route of having this super premium high priced, you know, thousand dollar plus, uh, offering. It just wasn't something, well, it wasn't something that was even on my radar screen at the time. Um, and especially the way that I was producing these courses with the pre-selling, and then I had to get the lesson done each day. I mean, it was, it was just very simple. And so that price range felt, it felt good. It felt fair. And um, I do have students from, from many different countries who are able to join those. Yeah. Just curious. So where are your students from? Is it like really all over the place or is it mainly foreigners living in, in the States? or Indians and, and I don't know, people from Egypt and is it really, it's, are they really from everywhere? It's a real mix. So I do have a, a decent amount of immigrants to the U S immigrants, spouses of American 
who are studying here. And of course, they're very highly motivated because, I mean, they're living here. They're trying to find a job here. And so they, they're among the most dedicated, you know, when they purchase a course, they'll go through and do all the homework and um, uh, go through all the lessons. Uh, I have a good number of students from Brazil, since that's where uh, I started kind of spreading the word among my local students. Um, and a uh, good number of students from Europe, Middle East, um, Japan, South Korea, uh, some, and then just a whole host of random countries. I mean, I have a, a very dedicated guy in Mali. Um, I have uh, I occasionally get folks from India and China. Um, it's always interesting to me when people write in and say, oh, I'm from such and such country. Have you ever been here? And uh, I say no, but I'm glad to know I have a student there. Uh, so it is really quite a mix. Yeah. How, what, what does your work week look like or your working day? So one of the reasons that I started wanting to work online is because I really wanted to disconnect, you know, when you're a private teacher, it's just your salary depends on the number of hours you put in. So if I give 20 private lessons, I get paid for 20 hours. If I am sick and I can only do 10 hours, then I only get paid for 10 hours. And so I wanted to disconnect my income from the time put in. Right. Um, and that was important to me, both in terms of just having a more flexible schedule as well as starting a family eventually. And so now um, we have a daughter and right now I work about 15 hours a week. Um, I have put that, I mean, in the past, I have put that as high as, as 40 to 50 hours when I'm in a, a really intense phase, especially of course creation and as low as only two or three hours a week uh, in times when I was uh, right after my daughter was born, I took a couple months of maternity leave um, and in other times that are really busy. So uh, 15, somewhere between 10 and 20 hours is kind of a sweet spot for me, but it is completely under my control. Uh, I can decide to work more if there's a project I really want to uh, dig my teeth into, or I can decide to work less if it's a really busy season of life. Yeah. So why don't you work more? I mean, is this like the ideal balance for you between family, you know, free time and, and, and working? And have you ever thought about outsourcing? Uh, so this does feel like a good balance uh, for me. Um, my tendency is to work more. So if I had my way, I would just be working all the time. And I think it's mm. important for me to kind of limit myself a bit. Uh, also, because when you only have, let's say, three or four hours a day, instead of eight hours a day to work, you really have to choose what will yeah. be the most impactful. You can't do right. everything. And so it really forces me to prioritize and use that time wisely. Um, so I think that, I think that's important for me. Uh, I do outsource a bit. So I have an assistant teacher who works for me part-time and she mostly takes care of the inbox. So yeah because I have a large email list, I get a lot of replies and questions. Uh, she takes care of those as well as she grades the homework inside the courses. Many of my courses have aspects where someone can send in their writing and then get correct get feedback or even send in a recording of their speaking. And then she evaluates that and gives them tips. So she does all the homework and all the, um, 90% of the student correspondence. Um, other things I'm, I'm working on outsourcing, uh, video editing, I still do that myself, uh, as well as some of the general tasks of posting to social media and that sort of thing. Yeah. So how do you learn everything you know about online business? Is it, do you listen to podcasts? Do you take courses? Do you go to events? Are you in touch with other teachers? How do you learn everything that you've learned so far? 
Uh, never taken a course, uh, just gradually over time, I would just learn things as I needed them. So um, if I was really trying thinking about, okay, hey, my sales pages, I feel like they could really use some improvement. I would just go on a deep dive and and Google and research and uh, learn everything I possibly could about sales pages. Um, or if I was focusing on email marketing, same thing. I would just do a deep dive in that area, finding as many free resources I, as I could. Uh, and then I, I also do a mastermind with a lot, a lot of other um, entrepreneurs and especially language teaching entrepreneurs. So um, we meet up, we talk about what's working, what we've been trying, uh, bounce ideas off of each other. And that's super valuable because you're talking with people who are on the same journey. And especially if you're in the same business model, you can really go in depth. Oh, hey, how do you how do you price your course? What do you do in terms of a pre-sale? What what's working in terms of testimonial? You know, you can you can go deeper. I can really get into the details with a fellow language uh, entrepreneur or a fellow teacher entrepreneur, as opposed to let's say someone who's running a software business where yeah. our experiences might not be quite as as compatible. Um, even though there's certainly things we can still learn from each other. Yeah. That's kind of the same reason why we started this podcast, right? Just for other teachers. So that's very specific. That, so that they can relate and that they can also just apply the things that we talk about here on the podcast. So, yeah. Um, how has building an online business changed your life? So when I started, um, like I said, I was teaching uh, in the classroom a lot of hours in multiple locations. So I was often on the bus in traffic, uh, making a very low hourly rate when you consider the time I spent on the commute and the time spent, you know, preparing the lessons and all that. Um, and what I did is over time, I, as the online business was slowly picking up, I would slowly decrease my teaching hours. So I, I kind of, I held on to that, you know, to that more secure day job until I was confident that this income stream was building up and it was stable. Um, so I, I slowly phased out my in-person teaching and slowly ramped up my online business. Um, I went full time about, I think it was two and a half, th almost three years in. So it, okay. it took quite, it took a while. Um, it was a, it was a gradual process and I'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to risk taking. Um, and I, I went full time about three years in. And then after that, I mean, we, have uh, the freedom to travel. I can work from anywhere with an internet connection. Uh, my husband is from Brazil, so it's important for us to be spending some time there every year. Um, and with this business, I, I can do that. Um, I can work from Brazil or I can just uh, prep everything in advance and then just take a couple months off. Um, that's an option as well. And also I just, you know, when I was teaching in the classroom, I enjoyed it, but the problem is that I'm more introverted. So I would go to class and I would expend all this energy, you know, teaching and presenting and trying to make an awesome dynamic class. And then I would come home and I would just be drained and I had already spent my energy and I really didn't have any more for anything else. And now um, it's a way I can work at my own pace uh, after I, you know, do my work, I film some lessons or I write some emails or I help some students. I feel I feel good. I feel energized. And I also know that those things that I'm producing didn't just help that student for that day, but they're going to live on and help multiple students in the future, um, which is also very satisfying. So I love what I do. Um, I have lots of freedom and flexibility um, and it's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. So it has improved your life. Oh, a, a thousand percent. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Um so most of your traffic comes from the blog, right? From the website. 
how do you think about the future of blogging? Like, do you still invest as much time in blogging as in the beginning? Um, I mean, I know you extract, you use the transcript for your videos and you use that as for the blog post, but what do you, what do you think the potential of the business in the future is? Is it, is it YouTube? Is it, is it a blog? So this is a great question. I know that there are a lot of people who say, oh, blogging is dead. And yeah. if you didn't start 10 years ago, you know, you have no chance. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this a little more. There are always going to be people who prefer to consume information in writing as opposed to in video. The invention of television did not kill off the market for books, right? It's just different modes of learning. And so um, yes, it may be more crowded, you know, there are more blogs out there. Um, and what I would encourage people to do if they're, if they're, they feel drawn towards blogging is not to only post on your own site, but also to go out and do guest posts, uh, exchanges of posts with other bloggers, put, you've got to put yourself out there a little bit more rather than just publishing and, and hoping people discover you, which is what, what I did at the beginning. Um, but there are also, of course, platforms like like Medium and other online publications that you can submit your blog post to in order to get more visibility, right? So um, if someone was starting today, I would encourage them to do more of that, putting yourself out there, um, especially by collaborations and guest blogging and that sort of thing. Um, but there is, there's definitely a future for blogging simply because humans are different. And I mean, I'm one of those people, if I could read something rather than watch a video, I would much rather do that. And I think that that yeah. is always going to exist. Yeah. Um, so there's always going to be a place for the written word, uh, just the strategy, maybe how you go about it might be a little bit different. Um, but I think that there's definitely a future there. Yeah, it also depends on what you're good at, right? Like if you're good in front of the camera, then you're maybe better off creating YouTube videos. But if you really like writing, if you're good at it, I think there is a potential for anybody who's, who's good at something, right? So, yeah, you know, for for some people, uh, writing blog posts is like pulling teeth. They're like, oh, I just, I hate, I can't stand it. Um, I, you know, nothing comes to mind. Whereas other for other people, it's more natural. Um, I'm in the latter category. I, I always love to write. I always love to journal. And so for me, writing was the easy part. You know, in my case, getting on camera was a little more difficult, but other people are wired differently. And so as teachers are thinking about where they might, might want to invest their time, you've really got to go with something that is going to be natural and come easily to you because it is something that you're going to do consistently for a long time. And if it's something that always feels like hitting your head against the wall, then maybe that's not a good, that particular channel is not a good fit for you. Mm. What's the hardest thing about building an online business in your opinion? Is it the consistency? Is it that you have to figure out how everything works because in the beginning you don't know everything is it that you have to do everything by yourself what what is it in your opinion it's the fact that there's no formula that works um consistently so you'll see people selling formulas or selling templates or saying this is the path to growth but the thing is is i've tried a number of those things some of them have worked for my business Others have flopped. Some of them have worked for other people's businesses in the language niche and not worked for me or vice versa. And so it's the type of thing no one can really tell you this is the path. Uh, people can share their experiences, but you have to take it and try it for yourself to see if it works. Sometimes it's even hard to know if it's working or not. Sometimes you might get these lukewarm results and think, okay, now do I keep going with that or do I try something else? And so I think um, one of the hardest parts is you know, when we go through, let's say, uh, college, there's like a clear path to follow. Like you take yeah. the 
first course and then you take the second course and you know you're making progress. And entrepreneurship is like this jungle where um, you have to try a lot of things and um, get sometimes you get these ambiguous results or it's, it can be very frustrating when you see other people having success with a particular tactic and it's just not working for you. And you really have to forge your own path. And I think that's, that's the hardest part. But what I found helped me with it is really to approach it kind of like a scientist and uh, disconnect my emotions a bit and think, okay, this is an experiment. We'll see what happens. You know, if it works, we're going to keep going. Or maybe if it doesn't work, maybe we'll try again with a few revisions and then decide. Um, but to realize that it's just going to take all that trial and error um, for me to find my own path in business. So I think that's, that's the hardest thing. But if you approach it as a series of experiments, trial and error, you know, keep going with the things that are working, cut the things that are just uh, not fruitful, uh, then you can make progress. Yeah. Could you share some of the things that completely flopped in your business? <laughs> so when, when webinars came out, I was like, this is it. This is going to be the thing that blows up my business because it's a webinar seems like a perfect fit for a teaching business, right? I mean, you, you teach a lot and then, and then you sell at the end and then, you know, everybody joins your course in droves and it just, it just, it just didn't work for me. I, I would give, um, I would give these, these webinars and all I would get is students asking, when's your next free class. I want to join your next free class. And then people um, started to like expect it like all the time. And, and I said, and it takes a lot of energy to prepare and deliver a good webinar. I would spend like seven hours on prepping everything, the slides and trying to make it great. And just the sales weren't there. And I just, I, I gave up. I was like, this is, this, this just isn't working for me. Um, believe it or not, I'm starting to try to circle back around to webinars a little bit. Um, and experiment with them in a, in a slightly different way. Uh, but it was something that I, I really had high hopes for and it really didn't work for me. Hmm. So what has been working very well for you? Is it just being consistent, the blog, the YouTube videos now collecting email addresses and creating and selling lots of courses? Is, is it that? Yeah, the, the pre-selling of the courses has worked well for me because then you get, you get paid to create the course um, as well as you can really gather great feedback from those early um, customers of the course. I always make sure to get feedback um, and if there's anything I can change or improve about that course, uh, the people who believe in you enough to invest early are also going to be some of the people who have great insight about um, maybe what could be added or, or improved or changed. Um, so the pre-selling of the courses has worked well for me. Uh, just that consistent emailing. Um, I have not missed a Monday uh, newsletter for eight or not almost coming up on nine years now. Uh, every Monday, uh, my email newsletter goes out and uh, with that mix, right, of, a, of one free tip and, and one promotional tip. And so that has been super consistent. And that has also generated a very consistent and stable stream of, of sales every month. Yeah. And um I would say the other thing that works for me is uh, when you do a launch or a promo, you know, to always have that, that deadline, maybe it's a bonus that goes away. For me, it's the price that goes up. Um, some people open and close their courses. That's not uh, my uh, strategy, but uh, the deadline does indeed help get people off the fence. And um, if it's an honest deadline, I mean, I have no problem reminding people that, hey, you can get this this great thing, this bonus or this special early bird price. Um, don't miss it. And yeah. that always drives uh, a nice a spike of sales. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all of this. Do you have a final piece of advice that you would like to share with our audience just for anyone who wants to get started or maybe somebody who got started, but they don't have the traction yet. 
Yeah. So for people who are just getting started, I would just reiterate again that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And um, put in, when I first started, I told myself, I will do this for one year and then I will see where I am. And at the end of one year, I still hadn't quit my job, um, but I could see I had made a little bit of money and I realized, okay, this is kind of working if I just keep going. So if you're just starting out, give yourself a year of your best effort. Um, by the end of the first year, you should absolutely have sold something, uh, a few things, hopefully. Um, and so give yourself that time, give yourself at least a year uh, to see if you can really make it pick up and, and, um, and gain some traction. And for folks who are a little farther along in their journey, um, I would say, I would emphasize just that trial, trial and error. Um, you've got to try things. Uh, you can, you can read about lots of theory. You can see other people's case studies, but, um, until you put it into practice in your business, you just don't know if it's something that's going to resonate with your audience or your business model. Uh, so don't be afraid to try those things and then double down on the things that work for you and don't feel bad about just ignoring the things that don't work. Yeah, well, great. Thank you, Shana. Any last, uh, no, sorry, how can people find you? That was, uh, that's the final question. If they want to learn more, where can they go? So uh, to see what I'm doing with my language business, yeah, uh, you yeah. can go to espressoenglish.net. Um, you can see all the courses I have uh, for sale, as well as you know their, their sales pages, price points, and that type of thing. Um, and you can also sign up for my email newsletter if you'd like to see what I do with email. Um, and I also have a behind the scenes of the business podcast over at entrepreneursinmotion.com, which is where I discuss more of the business aspect, um, the marketing, uh, the funnel experiments. Um, and I both do solo episodes from my own experience sharing, uh, as well as interviews with, uh, other people who are building businesses. Shana, thank you very much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Hey, it's John here. And I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more podcast interviews, podcast episodes, make sure to go to our website, langpreneur.com. And also make sure to sign up for our newsletter so that we can let you know when we're going to organize either online or in-person events. We also offer one-on-one coaching there. So again, make sure to check it out, langpreneur.com. Langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.